You're listening to The RC, your guide to digital cinema, filmmaking, and cutting-edge imaging. Hi, and welcome to this month's RC podcast covering digital cinematography. This month we'll be looking at a whole lot of stuff from new toys, tricks, cool stuff, including microphones uh, with an interview with Rode mics coming up. And uh, we'll also be delving into treatments and looking at uh, how to prep for work in another interview that Jason has coming up later in the show here on the RC podcast, where we see our role is to mine the news and kind of filter those blogs and go down some of our now rather famous rat holes. And this is the tech that Jason and I discuss, obsess about, argue about, and trying to sometimes even work out. And, of course, I'm joined in the studio by Mr. Wingrove himself. Hello. How so, are we? So those two interviews coming up later in the show, what have you got? Yeah. Uh, so we've got um, Paul Schneider, good friend, director, shooter, friend of the... Uh, Very talented friend individual. Friend of the RC. And, uh, yeah, like I wanted to... Because Paul and I talk about this stuff all the time, just the difference between pitching and... Uh, I want to hear this, yeah. And repping and, and sort of how the system works there for getting mainly, you know, for both of us, mainly commercial commercial work tvc shooters so yeah just the differences between stateside and here and yeah the sort of differences behind that and and getting a job pitching for a job writing treatments and things and the other one is with road is with yes clinton from uh, road and we're going through their new gear their new wireless gear and their new shotgun mics yes we had uh, clinton in the studios because we were shooting for the uh, FX PhD course on uh, DOP with Ben Allen and um, <clears throat> after we'd shot with uh, uh, doing a bunch of stuff actually about uh, sound in a studio because we've already done something on sound on location with uh, with him um, we were very glad to be able to swing him over to yes. the call him before he left the building to the RC part of the complex um, <laughs> to uh, get the RC him wing the RC wing yes took the segways and went down to the RC <laughs> wing where we could uh, the sit viaducts, down because the they have had viaducts. some new stuff that's come out and some of it's really exciting some of it isn't quite in our hands yet um, and other stuff we've actually been shooting with uh, even today so that's been really good all that coming up in a few moments on the show and then as I say later in the show have this a really interesting interview that Jason's done um, with Paul which we're really looking forward to so Jason what's happening in uh, gear and stuff around the traps oh well let's see okay well the, uh, something that I had last time but I forgot somehow it got left off the agenda last episode is this little gimbal thing which uh I just just whizzed by on my Twitter feed somehow. Someone mentioned they bought one, and I said, oh, I've got to have this. Because I've been mucking around with gimbals for a little while. Yeah. Uh, just with, you know, usually the sort of um, choose-your-own-disaster uh, of the, um, you know, the the Russian or Ukrainian, whatever it is, firmware, Iranian firmware, <laughs> uh, stuck into any manner of uh, eBay gimbal thing. And this is probably not much different to that. Uh, except for that it is not the normal two-handed Movi-type affair. This is a single-handed kind of trigger shotgun kind of thing designed for smaller cameras like uh, A7S, GH4s, and smaller. I think maybe even smaller is better. Uh, It's called the Nebulous. I've seen GoPro versions, but this goes bigger than a GoPro. Oh, yeah. No, I've got a GoPro version, which is fine. But this is is really much more for for sort of small mirrorless compacts. It's the um, Nebula 4000 Lite. Now, it's definitely... Okay. So, I love the design. I think it's fantastic. The build quality is astounding. 
It's um, no cheap and nasty plastic. Oh no, no. The build quality is fantastic. I think there's definitely some room to improvement. I'd love to have the Mark II or the Nebula 4000 Heavy or whatever the next version. I feel that with an A7S, just with a little uh, lightweight um, Voigtlander Prime lens, I feel I feel that the that it's just on the edge of stability. You know, if you can put any any sort of gimbal, if you're putting a, a lighter camera than it's designed for, it's easier to balance, it's quicker to balance, it's going to be more stable. It, it's You're getting away from the limits of the motors to be able to compensate and keep up and, and keep it stable. This, I feel, is a brilliant first effort. I think it's amazing. Um, I feel that maybe the motors are a little bit underrated for this um, rig. Either I'm happy if they just literally just up the motors to whatever the next version is, I think. And or go with... What that, what it has is th- basically this board, the, the circuit boards that they're using is the same one that was in 90% of the other non-Movi gimbals, really. this um, They have an 8-bit version and they've got a new, fantastic 32-bit version. I'd love to see the 32-bit uh, boards in this and slightly bigger motors but that said out of the box for what is i don't know five or six hundred dollars amazing it's fantastic but with all of that whole sort of third party circuit board thing comes a little bit of it works well out of the box but it's not long after you get it out you're probably going to want to fiddle with the the settings and that is when the world of hurt <laughs> comes in there's lots of people um uh, who have been tinkering with the firmware and and playing with with uh, there's lots out there of people who have got some um uh some some uh i guess some ideas on how to um how to tweak the firmware and how to tweak the curves and the, all the settings and uh, so there's a lot to be had out there. Dave Dugdale has uh, got some fantastic stuff on his blog. Put some uh, n- links to his stuff in the show notes. He's been fantastic at sort of really spending some time tweaking it and playing with it. Uh, yeah, I think it's I think it's really interesting. It's uh, it's amazing uh, when you have a something that's really stable but literally holding in one hand and it's amazing what you can do and you can invert it as well which is fantastic I've been sort of just did some mucking around in the sea pool just literally just putting it an inch over the water or an inch over the deck and, and having it really stable and having the nice shallow depth of a of something other than say a GoPro is been, been has been fantastic I love it um, but I, th- I think if you're going to buy one maybe just turn it on and use it and if it works great out of the box terrific don't go fiddling and <laughs> and, uh, and and or wait for the next version Jason's i think own, but um, uh yeah for impre- very impressive for the money impressive first effort um i don't yeah. know if you said this but tuning the parameters and stuff that's via bluetooth isn't it well um yes or no. usb it has a usb socket and you can plug it in direct or you can, yes, even on Mac or PC, you can go via Bluetooth. It has a Bluetooth inbuilt. Um, and you can just open up a Java app. You don't have to have the days gone. In days gone by, not so long ago, you used to have to have, uh, used to use Bootcamp or use um, uh, whatever, you know, any of the other sort of PC emulation stuff. So Does that have a screw thread on the bottom of the handle? Yes, it's got three eighths. So couldn't you put that on a monopod and wouldn't that you be just super You could put it on hoop? a monopod and stick it up high if you wanted to. I've What I did with it was when I was 
because a lot of the mirrorless cameras have LCDs on the back, uh, the rig itself, you can certainly operate it by itself, but yeah. it's very nice to have an external monitor. So what I did was actually inverted it and then put, uh, used the socket, the quarter 20 and 3.8 sockets on the bottom to mount a monitor, like a little a DP6 or a, a small HD, a DP7 and operate off that monitor handheld which is really nice in fact I also then got just some just on, some just rods that and for a handles so if I've got this thing that is got the battery in the handle so there's no other cables coming off it that's it how yes. am I getting the signal from the camera okay. to your monitor okay HDMI but yep. here's the trick with it is that you really if you're going to have any external monitor what you really because the thing is so easily disturbed and so easily yeah. knocked out of balance um, you it's definitely need to order you know, from eBay or whatever, they call it HDMI ribbon cables. It's a very, very light, thin, delicate HDMI cable, which doesn't put any. When you're moving the gimbal around, it doesn't really affect the camera right. much. It doesn't act like a just your regular, even just a regular thin HDMI cable can cause a you know can cause a bit of bit of hurt. You really need to have the HDMI ribbon cables. Right. So you so, could run it upside down. So definitely it's, could run it inverted. Without the camera need to be inverted, yeah. still it would be right way up, um, and put a monitor on the on bottom top. of the handle or the top of the handle, depending on which way yeah. you run it. Okay, with a little ribbon cable, and yeah, and it's very, even that. I mean, obviously, a monitor adds a lot, a little bit of weight. If you're just going to run it with just the camera only, you could go for hours or go for a fair while, way more longer than you could just with a regular, you know, hold in your hand style Steadicam thing, or a larger gimbal. Also, would it not work that way, uh, upside down mode, if you were hanging it off? What are those things, you know, the backpack things with the... Yes, you uh, What am I trying to talk about? You know, course, one, um, uh, yeah, easy rig. Easy rig, yeah. Because an easy rig sure. with the normal um, but there's n- Movi is kind of a bit... Awkward. No need to have any assistance on holding that thing. It's not that heavy. Even with the monitor, I don't think. No, really? It's, not, it's very achievable, very, very easy. I'd love the... I'd just love that on a monopod. Because yeah. I feel like then I'd be just able to. Yeah, yeah, definitely. If you're still keep it kind of fluid. Yeah, that's right. And it has like follow mode as well. It has three modes as it comes out of the box: a follow mode where pan and tilt is yeah. is um, you know is very well tuned. I think. Uh, then I think the second mode is follow mode, but the tilt is locked. So if you want the tilt in a certain position, and it's got a nice convenient button on the hand grip to switch modes. So if you want the tilt to stay tilt it up a little bit you tilt it up a little bit and then press the button twice and it switch and instantly swaps it to mode two and then you've still got the ability to pan but the tilt will stay locked oh, that'd and be then so the good. third version i think is it's all locked and it doesn't stabilize it that's maybe when you start to want to dig into the firmware is you want to be able to make what i did was make it uh, i think i needed they say you don't need to but i couldn't make the inverted mode work at all without actually going into the Stuffing around with the menus. Uh, again, that's when you might want to just try and get a little bit of help online. And, so, so bottom line is you bought this. It's not like it's yes, an no, eval thing. wasn't given it. I know Would you recommend that I buy one now or hang off for the second version? Because you were kind of hinting at that a moment ago. Yeah, but there's no word from them whatsoever about there being one being made whatsoever. Right, I'm so sure NAB, at NAB, last NAB, yeah. there was two or three things like this on display. Right. And I waited and waited. Nothing has... This is the first thing like this in a single sort of pistol grip style operation for small mirrorless that's ever that's ever seen the light of day well that's I mean, a Sony few things hinted so and they've sort of 
coming soon and then they disappear or that company gets bought out or they've just they've just never surfaced so this is uh the only thing until you know hey tomorrow or in a <laughs> next nev that i've seen that is that is um worthwhile how one of the guys okay one of the guys who was pioneering sort of playing with this thing ken asano he is actually on his blog he's documenting building a better version of this because he's got one of these and he's played and he's tried to mod it and up it and change motors and things and he's given up so he's decided bugger it i'm making a larger version it's an all japanese blog and i'm only following it along in google translate so (laughs) it's pretty hard going but someone is working on a newer version and doing quite quite good progress but you know anybody just going to start building any of these things um off scratch is uh you know it's it's not going to be an, an easy road but yeah so i really like it uh, links in the show notes but that is the nebula 4000 light a little bit related to monitors and stuff that you're just talking about um yes the uh odyssey oh yeah yeah so i've got the odyssey 7q plus mm-hmm. it's uh okay w- um, what i'm want the main thing i want to talk about is is because for me i've had Okay, I'm going to step back a little bit. For me, what I want to have is a lot of people want to have these these recording monitors for to actually record like 4K output from yep. say an FS7 or from an A7S yep. or a GH4, and, and that'll do that with ProRes, uh, right? Yeah, that's right, exactly. And for me, I wanted to just purely have a wireless handheld director's monitor that I have the ability to record and have my own little video village and playback playback right. takes discreetly so without you, having to ask a video yeah. village to play them back because um, unsolicited playback is a world of hurt. You're asking, um, you're showing video village clients and agency a take which they were probably happy with, but you're getting them an opportunity to look at it again. And as soon as they see it again, they're going to go start picking it to pieces and find problems and say, oh, can we do another one? They looked a little bit to the left for one second. So, Jace, you famously have this so, kind of rig that isn't this, that, let me just set this up for people, that is a monitor yes. with a hand grip that yep. is just basically like a round cage around a, a um you know, normal, wireless receivers on and the back. And a wireless receiver on yep. the back. And it looks like a giant video game boy thing. That, yes, I love it and will never leave home without it and yep. enjoy it on set all the time. And it, it's you would see in a perfect world the Odyssey being that monitor in the middle. So not only is it doing it that, is. but it would also record what's coming in. Exactly. Indeed, it does. And gives me the ability to play back without anybody knowing Which about begs it. the question, how do you control something. the playback? Is it... okay? Is so, it touch activated or? Well, well, first, first, firstly, why I'm excited about it is up until now I hadn't owned one of these things, and my preconceptions of it is that it was going to be heavy, bulky. The SSDs you needed were going to stick out the top of it. Were going to be uh, cumbersome, clunky, clunky yep. to work with. The codecs weren't going to be included, and there was going to be storage was going to be extra, and lots of lots of things. So. Okay, first, playing with this thing, it's light. It's, yeah, it is. I'm it's, holding one in my hand. It's very light, very light, but it's super solid, beautifully made. 
the SSD is just a little tiny little tab sticks out the top. I thought they were going to stick out a lot more. It's just a little tiny pull tab, literally the thing that you'd need mm. to be able to take them out. Uh, so they don't stick out too much. Um, the menu system, i got to say, is fantastic. Um, it's complex but not complicated. It's everything you need, but it's intuitive. I've never looked at the manual or worked out how to do this thing online. It works It works exactly as your brain... Does it have a battery does. in it or it has to take it has a no batteries in it, but right. what they make is a lot of battery plates that they sell that uh, coherent um, designs make different battery plates for L-series batteries, U, Sony U batteries, V-Lock, um, Anton Bauer, lots of things. There's plenty of battery plates that you can put. So you don't have to, obviously, because a lot of people might not want to have a battery plate. They might want to have the weight nice and lightweight monitor to keep it as an onboard battery, uh, onboard monitor, and just power it from the camera. And the, the actual monitor itself... Is OLED, yeah, right? it's beautiful. It's OLED seven inch. I'm yeah. sure it's the same panel that a lot of people that small HD and uh, that uh, Atomos use. And uh, yeah, so I've got the the screen is beautiful. Touch screen is fantastic. It's very, uh, I would call it very professional. It's it's not trying to be dumbed down. The menu is not trying to be dumbed down into this simplistic Fisher Price kind of my first recorder or my first <laughs> monitor thing. I'm not saying other companies are doing that, but. It's it's there's so much information on the monitor and it's all overlaid above and below the image. You can make you can switch on histograms. You can switch on uh, false colors. Some beautiful focus guides. Um, now I'm shooting S log all the time. What can yeah. I can I adjust for that? Yeah, you can put some. You can put LUTs. It's got LUTs you can switch on. Oh, brilliant. Um, it can take re- if you're plugged in directly to the camera. It can take record flags from time code or from Ooh, record nice trigger via SDI or HDMI. So if you've got it plugged into um, you know, a, 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 a camera via HDMI, it'll take the record trigger. So you don't have to roll two objects at once if you are using it as your primary recorder. Um, now, so let me go through some of the things that, that, that I thought were going to be an issue that weren't. First of all, it's bulky and not. It's as light as anything. It's as light as any of the other monitors I've got, the DP7 or any of that sort of stuff. Um, the SSDs don't stick out the top. Uh, it's I find it no clunky. I don't find it clunky to work with at all. Now the codex, so it comes with the ability to do any flavor of ProRes you want. ProRes is included, 4K ProRes. That's all fine. It's all included, and now they've included uh, two 256 SSDs. So it'll come with media. Comes with the ability to record straight out of the box. But you can go up to one terabyte for those. You can. I mean, obviously SSDs. It comes with. They prefer you use their own SSDs because they want to control the process and you know not control it, but give you the ability to to make sure the uh, you know that the the data is going to be protected. It's all about making sure you don't hate the product. Of course, they're trying to make sure that it's that uh, your data and your your shoot is uh, is protected. With known with known media, so uh, yeah, so it comes with two fifty six two times two fifty six, and that's like hours I think plus of, of just regular HD um, uh, prorising. It's really only if you want to add the ability to record raw uh, that 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 the expense extra expense of coding. Well, what are my options on so raw. Ari raw? Oh really? Uh, Ari Raw or the FS7 stroke FS700 Raw, or the Raw the Canon Raw that comes out of the 
C500, I think. So how, how much is the unit and how much are these extra so options? So the, the thing with the 256s, dual cards and everything, as, as you see it there, is 2300 which is great, and that's fantastic. There's plenty, You can spend plenty more just on a monitor if you want only. So pretty impressive. Um, now, so when Codex will we'll add some expense, but clearly if you are working in these Codex, if, you, if you're working with these Codex, you're possibly, you know, working in a space where you're getting paid a bit more to 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 do yeah, if you're shooting Ari Raw, yes, you're not on a low budget. Ari Raw, yeah, you know, there's an income stream somewhere involved in there that is more yeah, than sure. just shooting with a with a Sony A7S. That's probably the most expensive one. That's two grand to buy the 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 license outright, or they may let you rent it for 150 a day. You can rent the Kodak. So FS7 is uh, 7.95 buy own, buy it out. And uh, I think the um, the Canon one is uh, pretty similar. I think I'll just check that out. So the Canon codec is fourteen ninety five and nineteen ninety nine dollars a day to rent. Uh, so again, out of the box, it'll work. It'll record ProRes, which is fine for an awful lot of people. Hours you can record on the internet or supplied SSDs. Again, I think the menu is is really, really good. You can get everything you need to, and there's quick, there's little whole row down the bottom of quick access buttons to be able to turn to hide, hide the menus for a start. Switch on the histograms, focus tools, uh, and a lot of the quick access stuff that you want is right there. And uh, yeah, the ability to record remotely, so you don't have to worry about it. So again, I'm not necessarily using it to record. Uh, for broadcast use I'm mainly using it just purely to record because I originally got the small HD DP7 originally when the DP7 came out it was going to record internally just to its little SD cards and it does unfortunately they're not going to be able to achieve that um, so yeah that, that little dream died <laughs> so <laughs> this is uh this is definitely a fantastic alternative, and I'm yeah really again really impressed with build quality. It's, uh, it's built really well. But it is really solid. Being on heavy. the back is the heat sink. Does that get yeah. really hot? No, or is it? not that I not that I saw. I guess I don't. Yeah, no, I couldn't. I mean, obviously, a lot of the time you probably got a battery plate over the top of that, and you never sort of see it. But I I felt it, and yeah, maybe slightly warm here and there, but never never very hot. Right, and again, a screen looks beautiful. Screen is is gorgeous. OLED, those seven inch OLEDs just look. They do look good. Fantastic. Don't they? Everybody across the board, though, you know that that's just a really great screen. It's uh, yeah, impressive, and you know lots of SDIs, time codes in and out. Actually, actually, the other thing it can do, uh, you can feed it to multiple sources, so you can give it two, uh, maybe it's four, but you can certainly give it two, um, two inputs two SDIs yep. and it will do like a split screen thing or you can toggle from one to the t- one to the other so if you're on set and you could actually put two receivers on the back of there if you wanted to uh, or plug in two separate sources and as a director you could sit there and toggle between the two or if you're jumping from one camera to another you can go and stand next to camera A and switch to camera B so you can be watching one while you see the other and vice versa or the and uh, yeah so impressive so what are you using? Because on the unit that um, I borrowed of yours, the one that is your director viewfindery yes. thing that you're yes. around with at the moment that, that up until now hasn't had that in it. No. 
You have the Paralynx on the back of that. Oh, uh, yes. Okay. Do you still so, use the Paralynx? Uh, yes, I've got. Okay. So on the back, what I have now, what I'm using at the moment, is the, well, two things. I've got the Paralynx, the Arrow X, which I talked about Paralynx. last time, which is the very, is their sort of nearly almost top of the top of the line thing where we talked about how many millions of kilometers it doesn't transmit. I said, whatever, 700 feet, and you said... <laughs> I said three quarters of a mile, and you said no. That math is wrong. No, I guess trust Mike to pull me up on math. Sorry, no problem. Uh, so their new HDMI transmitter that I'm receiver that I'm using at the moment is the Triton, which is uh, I'm n- not necessarily replacing their original little Arrow one, but it's I guess it's the next cab off the rank. It's HDMI, HDMI only. And I guess it's kind of the next generation on from the original Arrow and Arrow Plus systems. It's um, it's quite clever in a few ways. The transmitter, it's got a couple of little quirks, but the one nice thing is that literally the transmitter is all in one, has a hot shoe on the bottom of it if you want to, and has a battery. Pl- has a battery. They both have battery plates on it, but the transmitter you can basically put a Canon LP E6 battery on the top. And um, that's the receiver you've got there, yeah. Mike. And yeah, so you can literally just any camera, put it on the camera, screw down the the hot shoe, put an, a Canon battery in the top, and done. You're transmitting. Hook up the HDMI, and you're away. Um, the receiver is the same. It uh, has hot shoes. It it oddly, to, I think the one quirk is that the battery, the receiver, and the transmitter use two different battery systems. The transmitter really? uses Canon LPE6. And the tra- sorry, the transmitter uses LPE6 Canon batteries, which kind of makes sense to go on top of a camera. The receiver uses Sony. I want to say, I think NPF. Hang on, are you telling me that as standard they use different batteries, or they that do. you bought them that way? No, nope, that's 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 how they come. It would be great if it was LPE6 on both, but uh, that seems. But the nuts. fact that they do, well, yeah, I think. The Canon battery is something that obviously it's fairly standard for a lot of people to have a lot of those around. Yeah, um, we do, yeah. And, you know, it's kind of standard on that camera side of things. And for a lot of monitors, one of the things that is fairly standard is to use these little, the Sony NPFs. So NP batteries, I'm pretty sure that's what the plate is. If you have the NPFs, what's nice about the receiver is that it kind of piggybacks is that you can put the the back of the receiver has a battery plate on it and you can actually if you've got a monitor that has a already has an MPF battery plate on it you can dock the receiver basically can sandwich it between the monitor and and, and, the, and the battery put a battery on the receiver and put the receiver on the monitor with no cabling and it's done it's powered all you need to do is plug up your HDMI um I think another one of the pluses, and because it was a little bit of a niggle with the original arrows, was that it would run off. It would run off basically off five volts, no more, and uh, would be a little bit inflexible in terms of what you can feed it. You could run it off USB, which was always fantastic. Um, but if you've got, uh, you know, DTAP batteries or V-locks or anything like that, it was always you always had to sort of step it down and, and be kind of mindful of the voltage and polarity that you were giving it. These are really robust in that regard. I know because I've put reverse polarity on the receiver already accidentally <laughs> and it's completely fine and it takes something crazy from, I don't know, like 6 volts to 17 volts. Yep, so any kind 17. of V-lock, P-tap, 
LPE6, NPF, U, whatever you want to plug into it. It'll be terrifically robust. They've also improved the transmitting range. It's gone from 300 feet to, with the arrows, to 450 feet for, for the Tritons. Right, so, so they've added so seven 50%. miles by your maths. Yeah, that's about six or seven oh. miles. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I never did maths. I did maths 2A, whatever it is, maths in society. Maths <sighs> Just, you, you're hurting maths me. Maths for dummies. You're hurting me. Um, <laughs> it does seem... <clears throat> Uh, well, I guess my question to you is, these are plastic. They're they lightweight are. because they're plastic. Indeed. Uh, yeah. Are you happy with the build quality? Uh, yeah, look, you know, I think it's, I mean, hey, so are, some of the, so are most of the cameras you're putting it on top of. Um, yeah, look, I think they are designed to be light, designed to be, um, you know, it's designed to suit a certain set of camera, designed to go on top of a DSLR, be simple, you know, and light and, you know, plastic bounces. Okay. <laughs> It doesn't feel flimsy. I'm just asking. No, the it doesn't feel flimsy. No, that's right. It doesn't it, I mean, the, the Odyssey, by comparison, feels like it's. Yeah. But I mean, this is. Robust. Yeah, it's like $1,300 for this set versus, uh, you know, you're into multiple thousands for uh, the next sort of setup, regardless of your manufacturer. Um, yeah, so I mean, 1300 is. $1,300. Not for, nothing, but. Uh, the other thing I think it, with the arrow, original arrows, if you wanted to add more receivers, you had to sort of decide whether when you bought the transmitter whether you wanted to add receivers later. So this is automatically ready to go with um, you can add receivers as you want later on if you want to, if you want to go to multiple receivers. Uh, it also lets you, if you do come across any kind of weird interference things, it has an LCD on the front of it. So it'll actually um, it'll let you know rather than just with little LEDs, it will actually let you know if it's got a video source. It'll make it'll let you know when when they are linked together, and you can select channels and change channels one between one and eleven, depending on if you actually find yourself in a situation where, hang on, I'm just not getting any signal at all, or this transmitter is interfering with something else on the kit or in the room or in the house, in the house. So uh, it's good to be able to do that. So yeah, I I I, I welcome this next the next gen. And nice to have the mounting options. Again, I think maybe there's a battery plate thing because I've got a battery plate that goes from LPE6 to the other one, Sony U, BPU. So I think so. I don't know, maybe there's a little battery adapter plate that will go from LPE6 to this NPFs, and then you could actually put N, put LPE6, you know, put Canon batteries on both, if that makes sense. It's it's it makes enough sense that I don't want you to repeat it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I hate how there are so many acronyms. It's just like at some point I yeah. lose the will hey, to live. This means something to other people. Some um, people. Changing the subject, the I think we should want me to shut the fuck up. we should cross now to our interview uh, to find out what's happening in audio uh, with Road, yes. uh, which was recorded uh, earlier in the day. And uh, just to set this up, this is being recorded after the international launch that uh, that Road has just uh, recently done. So, Clinton, thanks for joining us. Good to be here, mate. Here in the tech compound Miramar Palace that we are. So, <laughs> your, um, what's your position at Rode? Uh, I'm a media content and video producer at Rode. Right, but your so background's in audio. You're uh, yeah, a complete shoot audio head. Yeah, but well, I've been brought in a bit in of a background in, in being a DOP as well. Yeah, well, yeah, sort of both. Um, typical example, uh, example, epitome of jack of all trades, but master of none. 
No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay, so let's go through the new gear. So uh, talk us through what's new at Rode. Okay, so we have released three new products. We've got the NTR ribbon microphone. Uh, that's obviously um, a high-end uh, vocal microphone, also you know, based for and designed for instruments as well. Um, and we have the NTG4 and 4 Plus, which is a new revolution, evolution of the NTG1 and 2 mics. Uh, it sort of sits between the 1 and 2 and 3. Uh, yeah, I'll come back to that. So, yeah, we'll talk about that a bit more. And also we have the Link wireless system. Yeah, so that's the first thing that I think people are going to be really interested in. I think that's, first of all, I mean, apart from the fact that it's astounding for the money, mm. what it looks like you've done is really simplify the idea of syncing these things up or the ability to be able to not only change channels, uh, but, but, you know, syncing the two together and or avoiding any issues of the worldwide frequency hell that's happening and is still happening. Mm. Well, yeah, because, you know, obviously now there's a push to go to digital and obviously with the uh, redundancy now of uh, radio frequency and some of these, these um, you know, the typical wireless packs, we really wanted to design something that would work, you know, all around the world. So uh, when you think about uh, Roadlink itself, um, in our system, there's something like eight channels and 8,000 combinations. So even running at 2.4 gigahertz, you're going to have a lot of combinations. And it does hop as well, so it automatically will find you know, all these different combinations to make sure that you get the strongest signal possible. I'm amazed that if you were going to design a new wireless system, you'd go for probably the most crowded kind of spectrum in the world, the 2.4. Almost every single one of us is probably carrying five things that are emitting... Mm. 2.4 gig yeah, at yeah, well, any one time. Well, we've been asked about that, and then I, like I said again, again, like I said, it's it's eight channels with eight thousand combinations. So yeah, yeah not I'm not carrying it. eight thousand devices, Jess. Uh, no combinations. Sure. <laughs> the so, thing is, though, I mean, this is technology that we've been using for years and years and years and years, and it doesn't feel like it's changed much in the time that we've been using it up until now. Now, I haven't had my chance to get a hands on one of these suckers, mm. but oh my God, I'm looking forward to it because yeah. there's a lot of stuff that you need it to do. But number one, I guess, is be bulletproof, which is exactly why this hopping and jumping and frequency combinations is so important. Yeah. Mm. I mean, I use the Zennheisers. You use the Zennheisers as well, Mike, and they're about as close as you can get to, to bulletproof when you turn them on yep. and switch them on and, uh, you know, and, but... God forbid you change one little thing accidentally in the menu of those things, and it it is. Uh, I mean, there's not a lot to them, but still, it, there's a lot of delving and deep diving you have well, to do. Well, the other thing that is interesting to me is that together. this isn't just an AA option, is it? It's not an AA battery option. It it has a, a charging option, doesn't it? Like you can. Um, so there's not AA in there in the in Roadlinks. There are AA. There's the two double A's there. Yeah. yeah. So of course, yeah, with the power options, you they're powered via battery. But you can also supply power um, by a USB connection as well. See, because when we're doing interviews, if we lose, like uh, we forget to have batteries, which obviously we almost never do, but if there's just no other way, place to go, right? You have to start literally walking around, find a convenience store late at night. Mm. But if you're sitting at a desk doing an interview, it'd be completely easy just to plug a, a USB from a laptop and and it'll get you out of a hole. It's just yep. one of those extra fallback option things. Yeah. Well, those little USB, you know, phone charging pack things there. Yeah. Well, there's a bunch of things that you could do. Well, you, you look at the multi-juice packs. For example, if you had like a F55 rig and you had to power your transmitter, so to speak, you could take a USB um, 
output of let's say one of those juice packs. Yeah. And if you had a you know Roadlink receiver on your camera, you could um, run power, you know, to the receiver itself via USB. And obviously, yeah, one big thing is the price point. I mean, it's like three ninety nine or something for yeah. the, for the set. Well, we we wanted to be competitive, so we we decided to target a specific market. But very important note too that I think um, you know the whole ethos behind the development of this product has been to take our time. And and while there've been other companies that are putting out. Uh, wireless we've been you know obviously um, asked uh, countless times throughout you know the years when are you guys going to come up with wireless when mm. are you guys going to come up with wireless so it was is a timing thing and we wanted to wait we wanted to kind of see what everyone else was doing and make sure that when we did come out with something it was going to be different so uh, and look there'll be very there'll be many reiterations and there'll be many improvements uh, but right now we just wanted to get something we felt was the right time and we got something out there so I'm really looking forward to the product so, speaking of timing, when will we see that one? Yeah, we're gonna. Um, yeah, I th- well, it's currently in production now, and I think uh, we, we for, for, I think we would be fulfilled generally in March. Okay. Yeah, so we'll see uh, physical products uh, coming out in March. Okay, yep. a few weeks. Yeah. Excellent. All right. So yeah, NTG um, four and four plus. Now I own an NTG three, so this is actually, despite the numbering, this is slightly we can consider it in the line below. The NTG three, the three, yeah. Well, look, it's um, you know the NTG one, two, and three has been sort of like you know the the benchmark for us in terms of and the popularity of these mics have been astounding too. So you know the one and two has been sort of that uh, I would say best in its class for for affordable uh, shotgun mic technology. The NTG three is our flagship mic. but we wanted to basically then uh, reiterate and give a lot of these. Um, Users and filmmakers, uh, I, th- I suppose, an improved uh, technology as far as shotguns concerned. So we decided to uh, redesign um, the technology in the the G1s and the G2s and give them more options, and also improve the capsules, lower the noise floor, and give them something almost identical to the G3. So yes, the G3 is still our flagship, but the G4 and 4 Plus is an option for people out there that want that same quality but at a more cost-effective price point. But it also has a battery, right? It does. It's the world's first uh, shotgun mic that actually incorporates a lithium, internal lithium battery as well. So, so no like more stuffing around, with, again, with yeah. double A's, putting that inside the NTG2. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the plus is the rechargeable one. The, the plus is the re- rechargeable one with the internal lithium battery. And one of the benefits of obvi- obviously having a mic that is able to power on by itself is that if you don't, in the event that you don't have phantom power, you can run this uh, very easily via XLR connector to a 3.5mm jack and straight into your A7S or your GH4 or anything like that yeah. and still be able to use a shoddy. So, uh, and again, going back to the whole thing with USB power, you can also then, for example, decide that if you want to power this via a Mophie juice pack or a small little iPhone pack, uh, when in between shoots or you're not, you know, you're not running or rolling or something like that, you can you can power it on as well. So charging time charging. and then run time? Uh, charge time is about two hours and it has 150 hours running time. Wow. So awesome. uh, you know you can charge it for about two hours and it's it's pretty incredible actually. Yeah, so yeah. certainly uh, even if you just plug it in for five minutes, you're going to get you're going to get hours. Yeah, I'd yeah, say yeah, you know, exactly. You know, get you through the next shoot. Hmm. Wow. The one, the wonderful and the cool new things. Uh, more importantly, I think the the, the unique uh, aspects about this microphone as well is now we've given the user a whole lot more. Um, you know, in terms of options, in terms of uh, digital switching. So we have like a lot of digital switches on this now uh, where you have things like a minus 10 dB pad, you have a high pass filter that's 75 hertz. 
and then you have also a, um, a high boost as well. Yeah, well, so, I welcome this kind of switching because you've made it so that it's not easy to bump. You have to really press and hold this stuff to change it, right? And it remembers yeah, what you it, did last. It remembers what you did last. So, for example, you might have the high pass and the, the high, and the, uh, the high boost turned on. And uh, what, So what can, does the high boost actually do? High, okay, so whenever you have any sort of mass or wind protection in front of the microphone, what it can do is when it, when, you know, obviously it can degradate the high frequency response. So what the high boost does is once you put wind sock or you put it in a blimp or anything, like I said, any sort of mat- uh, mass in front of the mic, it would basically boost the high end again to basically get... Um, to capture more intelligibility again and, and put that high frequency back into the signal. Mm. So you're always making sure that you're capturing um, good sound you know, at the capture point, at the so acquisition stage. So they're all pretty much the same pattern. Is any more any of the NTG range more uh, have a high, better rejection pattern or a tighter pattern than the rest of them? Uh, well, it's all based on the line gradient principle. So they're all shotgun mics with, um, uh, with a very tight polar pattern. So um, they all function in the same way. Um, like when I say when I say line gradient, it means that shotguns generally inherently have the same kind of polar pattern that function the same way. So th- there's no nothing specific about the differences or nuances in in the polar pattern for shotguns. They they be- behave in the same way. It's just more to do with the the internal electronics, uh, the surface mount technology, the digital switching, the the quality of the capsules, the low noise, and so on and so forth. So a shotgun mic will always will do the job. Awesome. Yeah. And timeline for these. Uh, these are available right now, so you know you can buy these. Um, they're available worldwide. So, right. Yeah. yeah. So three sixty nine and three ninety nine. It yeah. seems this is all U.S. prices, which yeah. is so that's eight hundred and fifty and twelve hundred Australian dollars. I just want to say a real quick thing in terms of just the uh, QC for this. Um, you know, I, I was I was wondering sort of the, um, on the factory floor. I mean, obviously working for the company as well, and uh, we we. So I was talking to one of the, uh, the the manufacturers, also one of the workers on the floor, and we will, you know, I, I saw these polar mics uh, one day, and, and she was saying, I said, oh, what, what's the difference between this lot and that lot there? And she essentially said to me, um, oh, that lot there uh, are rejects. And I said, and I picked one up, and I said, what do you mean rejects? And she said, oh, the, uh, the button doesn't feel right. So, you know, as, as an it's indicative of QC. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the fact that she said the button doesn't feel right, is the standards that we're we're sort of raising the bar now to even where it's a simple thing like that because you if you feel these they're very tactile switches mm-hmm. they got to function properly everything from aesthetics to functionality to internal electronics to build quality uh, we have pretty much raised the bar in terms of our manufacture yeah the design of stuff is really taken a, like the what is it the stereo video mic that's the, the new SVMX. crazy kind of yes soccer ball calls it the type Star thing. soccer ball mic yeah, yeah. yeah. and the lightning um, IXY, IXY, yeah, uh, yeah. Build quality is astounding yeah. on all this stuff. So, yeah. so could I put a personal plea amazing. in for? I love the IXY just so much, but I'm, I'm not so enthusiastic about some of the user interface aspects of your um, your iPhone app. Yeah. So I would just like uh, make it on record that you know if you can give me the email address of the guy that writes the UI, I can give him some really good suggestions for making it a little simpler to use. Yeah. I use that all the time for recording interviews. It's awesome, Mike. But mm. the app sucks. Yeah. The good thing though is that you didn't have to change mics when it went from the iPhone five to the six. It still works on both, which was mm. huge because we had to wait a while for the iPhone five version. We'll, we'll work on that, Mike. For you. Okay. Just good. Don't just worry. just want to say yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank okay. you. Okay. Yeah. And I think a stereo version of the wireless receiver would be a great idea. Yeah. I mean, even 
probably 50% of the interviews that are done with you know, on camera. Oh, you mean like have, a, have one receiver that takes in two? Yes, labs. considering the fact that all the receiver, and we're not dealing with crystals, we're not dealing with, with worldwide, you know, with sort of regioned frequencies right. yeah. to have a, obviously still have the two, you know, transmitters, but have to have an interview, like literally like one 50% receiver. of the interviews you yeah. guys would do, Mike, every, would be every year. you're going to have two Sennheiser receivers sitting on top of the camera for, you know, probably 50% of the time you've got two people on camera. So, you know, the technology's there. I reckon a receiver that is one device, one cable, just goes out to a stereo out. Actually, there's a lot of ergonomic reasons why that would really work because actually um, in that sort of end of the market where you're doing kind of interviews and it's much more whatever, yeah, you've still got, you know, good kit, but you're you know, juggling two of those receivers on a yeah. little Sony or a, a 5D Mark III or whatever. It's just that yeah. kind of clunky to I mean, on set, in. I mean, this is, it's a completely different, you know, it's a, it's a very different, um, uh, I guess, sort of price point. But on set, we use the Electrosonics, the SR receivers, and that is, but that is... That's one of the few sort of good stereo sure. camera link yeah. receivers. It's it's a different price point as well. And that yeah, is, yeah that's yeah, like I would pay extra. I would definitely pay extra two and a half for a thousand single, dollars for that. Yeah. I, w- I wouldn't not, pay a thousand. But if if you if you said that there was a two hundred dollar option for a stereo, um, you know, single receiver, uh, pack? yeah, I yeah. would be worth it for yeah. me because well, just traveling, it's one it, less thing to carry, one less it, thing to get it, batteries for. You know, anything is possible. You know, at Rogue, we're always looking to do new things. So all that's all I'm going to say is that you know, you, just you just gotta. <laughs> You got to hang in there and see what's coming out. And, I'm know, not expecting someone to be literally picking up the picking up the uh, the CAD, you know, the CAD <laughs> program right now as we speak. Yes, but you just, are. You know, plant you that seed. Okay, that. yes, I am. Yes, but are. let's just you know just plant that seed. I think yeah. you know stereo is. Uh, hey, um, how's road going? Like internationally, like. Uh, um, we're doing really well. I mean, we've we've opened offices now in China. We've got offices in South America. We've got uh, offices in North America. So um, you know, it's going really well. We're sort of a, truly a global company. Uh, we have uh, great resources and and great team members from all across the world, and uh, it's going really good. Um, we obviously you know, with the new release of the new products as well, um, things are going going really good. I can't say. Uh, I think we're on a roll here. So. Um, pretty happy with that so you'll be at nab well actually will you be at nab because uh i mean i know you're pretty focused on our industry but uh, i maybe should ask where's the best place for people to kind of check out stuff and also work out when stuff is shipping yeah and great, yeah sure um we, we're very active when it comes to social media and also uh online uh, content so go to road.com uh, which is our website or you can also go to uh, and find out information on our twitter feed which is um at roadmikes.com at roadmikes okay or at roadmikes yeah and Facebook as well. Cool. Thanks for coming in. Really appreciate it. Yeah, no worries. Pleasure. Okay. Thanks, Linton. That was excellent. Yeah. I want it all. Yeah. Although Actually, sound is hard. Sound is hard, but I, I tell you, in all honesty, and I, you know, fully paid for it, and I've got a Rod a Rode Podcaster that I use at home, the Procaster that I use in the office. Um, I yep. use the Rode Gear a lot I, I also use Sennheiser and, and a bunch of other stuff but um, yeah I love road stuff yeah hey um, there's a, a new Apple ProRes video format thing that came out it was just like at the beginning of December and I don't think we've covered it no not so much new I don't think this is selling well, new formats but no, what was odd was and I guess it piqued my interest a little bit because the last job I did on the FS 
F and the F5 and FS7. I was using two cameras. And we, the request was, because the editor of choice at the time was actually using Final Cut 7, uh, the request was, can we put recorders on the cameras and we want to record ProRes? Eventually I said no, and it just we'll just get it transcoded. But uh, at the time, it was a little bit of you know we had to still had to do it. Someone had to do some some transcoding before we could edit with FCP7. But interestingly, Apple is actually in some quirky backwards reverse universe thing of actually has uh, given an update to I guess it's an update to FCP7 and to QuickTime Pro hmm. that's adding a lot of the codecs that have come about since they dropped support for it. Like especially for stuff like XDCam and for their, um, sh- as far as I understand, the XAVC and XAVCSs and things that the F5s and FS7s and A7Ss and all that stuff. You love your acronyms. You're yes. getting an overdose of acronym today. I am. Uh, Apple ProRes, ABC Intra, uh, DVC Pro HD, HDV. HDV was always there, wasn't it? XDCam EX. Uh, MPEG IMX and uncompressed 422 so basically adding a, a whole bunch of sort of forward compatibility to QuickTime Pro and to which to their feeds into which then goes into Final Cut yes it is to QuickTime Pro which is weird because I'm sure I bought QuickTime Pro QuickTime Pro is a weird thing isn't it because it, it kind of comes and goes out you know of I world. have both you still I actually can't have the do old, without it I, you know what? I, have, I, I, have the, I have both QuickTimes I have the old one and the new one yeah but the, you can't it's really hard to find the old one quicktime pro yeah yeah the, the, yeah they got quicktime you got the old quicktime and then old quicktime pro yep. and then the newer one which i just use for just watching things yeah but, but and, the old and one the, is, I have both still players i've quicktime was, player seven and the still good for player. transcoding things you know still good for taking one thing and converting to something else yeah interestingly john uh asked me on the uh this weekend uh FX PhD podcast about H265. Five, yes. And I was out yesterday sailing, as it happened. Um, surprising, huh? Um, and uh, I was out with a guy who writes, um, I say writes, um, he designs chips that are manufactured for doing H264 and, right. and that kind of stuff. And incredibly above my pay grade in terms of intelligence and all round nice guy. A long-time friend of mine. Anyway, so I asked Kevin about um, his opinion of H.265, and it was really interesting. He said... This is what you talk about when you're sailing. Uh, well, it was actually what we are talking about over our, our um, whole baked barramundi before we went out sailing. Uh. Excuse me. Um, anyway, but <laughs> between between beers. So what, what he said, which I thought was interesting, is that you really don't get a lot of advantage out of H.265 unless you're going to 4K and those kind of bigger things. So right. if you were trying to do 720p, it wouldn't actually be a substantial difference if you were able to do H.265. H.265, however, would be great if you were doing, um, you wanted to encode some 4K for some kind of use. He also said that uh, it's probably a couple of years away from being something that you can readily imagine being that you would want to encode to. I think it's in a couple of decode. cameras at the moment, but it's very, it is very limited. It's edge of user aware, yeah. yeah. And yes. so it's good, but you're not, like if you're thinking, oh, wait, why won't 265 come along and just make my current, you know, 720p videos a whole lot better? Well, yeah. it won't. Um, but it is actually really quite hard. The stuff that it's doing is is computationally and, and stuff, it was difficult. It's not a... 
it's not a point revision as it's as they say yeah. it's a full um a step up but as uh as he summarized it really you know for most people isn't worth holding your breath for unless you're starting to work something at the uh at the 4k end of the spectrum in which case and those bigger things which, I asked, which people are doing we should have a well, there are definitely a bunch a of tellies that are 4K. 4K update. To, we need to talk about it at some stages, not necessarily for now. But I think 4K is. Oh, and forget, you know, actually seeing any content for that. But I think. But that's what you're going to want. It's you're almost want now content. the standard to shoot, at least acquire in 4K. Yeah. Just for, just for archiving and for, for at this stage, reasons. definitely that you're mad if you don't shoot and 4K. Reframing and reframing, particularly reframing and or yeah, just cropping and just just, just stuff, to yeah. keep stuff sharp. Most ninety percent of stuff is all still going out ten eighty. Yeah, um, but unless yes, it's going out four K, is definitely you know at least acquisition wise is uh, is the now pretty much. Well, changing gears. Um, as you heard at the top of the show, Jason uh, recently um, went on a uh, enlightened um, uh, journey with Paul, uh, a good friend of the show, discussing what it takes to, I guess, pitch and and uh, what happens as part of the process of Dick's. Well, maybe you want to set it up. For yeah. Us. Well, I think this is basically this is a this is a glimpse into what Paul and I talk about privately anyway. So this is really we thought hmm, this is probably worth. Um, probably worth exploring um you know publicly um because there's big differences between the way i pitch and or am represented and or repped and or the way companies work here versus there in in north america and i should say that this idea of discussing treatments and pitching actually came from uh one of you listeners who uh contacted us and said uh, in fact i think a couple of listeners might have contacted and said they'd really like to hear more about this and I certainly was very enthusiastic when I heard Jace wanted to do this. Um, so I haven't heard this yet, so I'm looking forward to it. Um, so uh, let's cross now to that interview recorded earlier uh, as uh, Paul and Jace just discuss their kind of professional side of uh, doing stuff in the business. Hey, Paul, thanks for joining us. I know you're traveling and working and uh, squeezing this in between things. It is my pleasure, Jason. It's well-timed then because... You are currently pitching and bidding and all that sort of stuff. The question essentially we've been asked is uh, how do opportunities to present a treatment come around and where do they come from? Now, I know this is something that we've discussed at length together, but I thought it'd be good to give, a, I guess, a snapshot of the landscape here and there and the process of, of getting work and how creative, where creative babies come from. Might just step back a little bit first, though, and just start with the Reader's Digest Paul Schneider story, your background and your work. My background, my background is incredibly varied, and I think that if you would poll any director um, here, especially, um, that you would find uh, you'd find some consistencies, but you'd probably find a lot of p- people come at the world from entirely different places. My background is that of a graphic designer. At one point, I was a graphic designer, and I was incredibly passionate about that aspect of my life. Um, that led to a few other things and to some new clients and things, especially in the 
uh, action sports world that I was associated with, um, snowboarding, skateboarding, all that stuff. And I started doing a lot of um, not only design work for these clients, but also physically shooting and staging uh, commercials and, and videos for these people. And one thing led to another, and I ended up kind of through a trial by fire, ended up like moving forward and, and doing a lot of that type of work. And uh, eventually, you know, moved into uh, more independent representation. Uh, I like ended up going through a couple of different production companies and kind of getting into more of a mainstream system of commercial direction here. Um, in the states and around the world, right? So yeah, currently directing television commercials uh, based on the West Coast USA, but with but representation on both coasts, I guess, and in the middle there somewhere. Uh, yeah, mainly TVCs. Yep, uh, all, almost entirely television commercials, um, and I used to involve myself with uh, music video. I've since kind of curtailed a lot of that, um, mainly from for all kinds of reasons, but um, mainly just because commercials just seem like uh, I was just gravitating much more towards them and and uh, kind of understood them a little bit more. I think, um, but yeah, it's uh, I I direct I have representation all through the U.S. through production companies and then you know generally separate representation in other countries in Canada and um, Europe and that type of thing and you know different different people looking for work and and uh, ultimately you know just going off once once these jobs come around going off and making them happen okay so let's talk about the making them happen bit jumping back to how you get treatments uh, or how you get what as you call boards to uh, to pitch on now there seems to be uh, a couple of ways this happens a good way and perhaps a not a good so not so good way um, of uh, getting work and who approaches you and uh, how that how that happens for you to get a script yeah well uh, like like the getting becoming a director there's a million ways that it can happen um, the way that it happens more often than not oh, – well, let me just go through the official way because actually I want to hear the way it happens with you too because I know it – we've talked about it a little bit and I know that it happens quite a bit differently or at least there's some aspects that are different. Um, in the States, the most typical way – like if you're, a, if you're a director of any note, meaning you've done it for a little while, um, most likely – you have um, signed on with a production company. And that production company um, has, it operates under a couple of different, you know, uh, auspices. It has people, the, the production company will essentially help you find work or at least get you leads on work. Um, and it does that by um, partnering with different representation firms um, of which these people might represent several production companies simultaneously but typically you'll have like for example I will sign on with a production company 
and they will have reps. There's usually a couple of reps on the East Coast, a couple of reps on the West Coast, a couple of reps in the Midwest, maybe a couple of floaters that, you know, for the parts unknown. And oftentimes that will also extend to Canada too. Like they'll, they'll have um, deals with these representation firms um, yeah. where they'll go out and sign on with a production company. This is essentially an exclusive thing, right? You on with one this, company, there's no, you know, hedging your bets. And right. also talk about how the relationship between the, the reps and the production companies because they are separate entities, right? Yeah, the reps and the production. Well, not all the time, but more often than not, they are. I've been with production companies um, that have had their own reps in house, or at least their own reps. Like typically, the production companies are going to be in New York or LA um, here, anyway. And uh, like I've had, I've had, I've been with production companies that had in house reps in LA, or, or sorry, in New York, but then. Um, partnered with companies with representation companies outside you know in other territories but more often than not the production company is its own entity you sign on with the production company um, it is totally exclusive um, at least for the territories that we're talking about and then and then that production company goes in and works with reps and you know those rep firms are you know, they, it's a partnership deal where those rep firms have, you know, have um, relationships with everyone, um, with all the ad agencies, with many companies, both advertising and, you know, direct to client a lot of times. And these, you know, the reps, you know, you're basically signing, you know, the reps are trying to sell themselves too. Their, their you know, specialty is going out and finding work for directors and for artists of all types. And so the production company, once they make these deals, the reps go out and, you know, they, they take the various directors out to these, to these things. You depend on your reps. Once you've signed, they kind of all act as if they're one company. Like I call my reps directly, even though they're a separate, separate entities. And they've signed on with the production company in the same way. They're kind of beholden to that production company or to the few that they they operate with. And they go out and they they take my work out to the various uh, ad agencies. I kind of depend on them to know what projects are happening. Um, what you know is it comedy? Is it is it visual? What what is what's going on? What the trends are happening? So I can kind of tailor my reels and kind of tailor everything for that kind of work. So and what's the production company doing at this point then? Are they doing their own ripping as well and it's only they, the reps outside their own territory that they, they send reps out for? Or what are they doing for their um, dollars, for their they, they are doing The production company does a couple of things. Number one, any good production company worth its salt will have an EP or two that is also incredibly well connected and they will oftentimes be off trying to get their directors work so in addition to these these representative firms uh, or these reps you will have your EP will oftentimes be either working with them to kind of bolster your work or to bolster you know to get you in on these these pitches or you know going to separate you know friends and things like that within the agency world to try and get you 
this work. So the one and people now, who are really making a killing here is restaurants and wine bars and bars. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, me, yeah, totally. There's a the lot Soho, of lunching going on. The Soho house in in every major city is just banking. So and so it's uh yeah, so this is happening, but you know where the where the production company the reason you need a production company is, you know, many fold. Number one, the production company works with these people to help you find a job. It doesn't guarantee you get the job. Really, all they do is get you in on the pitch. If a job comes up, I've been pitching all week on several different jobs, and oftentimes the production company will be able to, you know, with the reps, get me in on a potential job. They'll convince the agency that I'm one of three or four directors that they might want to consider for the job. And they'll get me in on these pitches. I'll, uh, I'll then, at that point, it kind of becomes, it, half the job becomes up to me. Once I'm in on a pitch, um, you know, again, the whole thing is to win the pitch. And uh, the production company oftentimes, you know, the, the agency will come to us with a with a board. It might be very, very fleshed out. It might be, you know, it might be just a sketch on a napkin. And they'll kind of we'll get on the phone with them. They'll explain their whole their whole deal, and we will then be tasked over the next um, couple of days to create a pitch and hopefully win the job. Uh, as you know, I'm sure. Generally, it's a three pitch. There's usually two other directors yeah, doing this. Same, sometimes, yeah. sometimes it's more. Um, I try and go with with things that are. I, I I try and find out who I'm pitching against. Most of the time, you can find that out. Um, you know, you, that way you can kind of gauge. It's very strategic. You can kind of gauge your opponent, so to speak. You know what you know what they're looking for. A lot of times, simply because. You know, you can see, you know what you've done and you can see what other people have done. You know kind of what vibe they're trying to go for in their spot. Is it and clean? also you maybe know, I know it's the same there, you know the weak spots of your opponents and you can kind of maybe tailor your treatment, shall I say, to uh, perhaps highlight where your strengths might be and maybe subtly uh, dig it perhaps where you think... Um, Others yeah. may let them down. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's it, again, it's very subtle. I tend to go for pure positivity. I, I never downplay well, you, my, my opponent, but you know, I'm just a very respectful man like that. Um, but the, uh, but yeah, I mean, you do want to play up your strengths. You you are generally aware of who you're pitching against, and and you know, sometimes sometimes I uh, like I really enjoy that part of the process. Um, because sometimes it can be, sometimes it can be very empowering, you know, oftentimes, especially in recent years, I've, I've, uh, I've been pitching against much larger directors than myself. And a lot of times, you know, I won't win just because, you know, you, you can't, if someone has a reel that's a mile deep and they're, you know, kind of a rock star, you know, you can't, sometimes that's, insurmountable but once in a while you can take down a giant and yeah. that's really cool yeah. once in a while you can be 
the the second runner and the first guy gets another gig or gets cold feet or gets creatively creatively gets the shits and throws his mic down and walks off stage or phones in a treatment or is whatever doesn't really take the job seriously and they yeah. realize you you are potentially going to take the job much more seriously than you know than the rock star yeah i um, can see your read your hunger yeah i mean so, passion passion is an enormous um you know sales point i think so now talk we've talked about the fact that when you get a board when you get a script uh it's not necessarily um coming direct from the creatives now sometimes you can get a script and it's perhaps doesn't quite have the same impact as uh, if the creatives personally asked for you to be involved yeah i mean it, it's very th that happens a lot more now and it also tends to happen a lot more if you aren't if you're more in the freelance zone like in the times i find i oftentimes i have a rule that i when i sign on with a production company i will oftentimes well i have a rule that Every that I'm not that they can't send me a board, any kind of any kind of treatment, any kind of board from any agency until the agency is ready to get on the phone and talk to me. Because a lot of times what happens is agencies, especially if they don't have a lot of money or if they really have a demanding client or if the creative, if they're kind of lacking in terms of or they're a little bit lost in their creative they will go on fishing expeditions where they'll just have you know they'll throw out a board into the world they'll throw it out to all the different rep rep agencies and they'll just be like yeah we have this amazing thing it's it's with new fresh creatives in our agency and it's uh, for a really uh, a client that wants to do great things but uh, you know maybe it doesn't have a lot of money or you know whatever that whatever it is they'll throw they'll go on a fishing expedition and they'll just kind of throw it out to all the directors so essentially you can get a script that the agency has no idea that you have absolutely right yeah and, obviously, this is, and we've talked about the fact here that is definitely not the case and i'm pretty sure it's the same having with my dealings with with europe and uk etc is that uh who's involved uh, is very much uh, a you know a a group huddle uh, decision amongst all the creatives, and yes, of course they still get three or four depending on how big it is or you know how schedule heavy it is. Directors involved, and uh, if I get the script, it's definitely a matter of am I interested, and then the next step is they'll want to have a chat, be be it in person or or Skype or something start to brief yeah. me because yeah if i get a script it's because uh they want me to it means i get slightly less scripts it, than this method but it do always intrigues me that you can get a script that, that no one knows you have but also i guess it's you can you can you can i guess there's a benefit to being the wild card there yeah i mean it's it's like i said if you know in, in your world it just sounds like they totally vet everything you know, they, you've been well vetted before the time comes, before someone actually gives you the board because they yeah. don't want to waste because they don't want to waste your time. Yeah. Um, here, 
I don't think that wasting. Yeah, I don't think wasting a director's time is really like high on the agenda of anyone, you know, whether they do it or not. I like, like, I honestly think it's you can solve the problem. Like, over the years, I've learned to solve the problem by saying, don't send me anything until the agency is ready to get on the phone. When you, you give me a board, I want to be on the phone with the agency that day. And that actually solved the problem. It took me a long time to figure that out. Maybe I'm a little bit slow, but that happens a lot. Another thing I notice is, and this happens a lot, I, I guarantee it'll happen with anyone who's trying to find representation for the first time. Um, if you're trying to get in with a production company, you're trying to find an EP, if you have... You know, obviously, I'm assuming you have, if you have really good work to show, you have a bunch of good work, a bunch of independent stuff, whatever you've made, people are going to meet with you. And you're going you're gonna to find yourself meeting with all kinds of, if you put out a few feelers, make a few calls, ask a few DPs, you know, like how, make, make the rounds, you'll find that you won't have, you won't be lacking for people wanting to meet with you. If your if your reel is solid, um, what you what you'll find though is that people will meet with you, and immediately after they meet with you, they'll just be like, "Oh, well, this board just came in, and we want you to take a look at it," and they'll start they'll give you like two or three boards real fast, like like it makes them seem like they're really important and connected. But the fact of the matter is, most of the time, those boards you get aren't actually like real boards. They're they're like Shotgun boards that agencies have sent around for pie-in-the-sky projects that that they're just looking for someone to take on and put the sweat equity into. Okay, well, and, let's talk about – so say you do – say you do – you hadn't got you – know, you hadn't got – weren't in a lockout situation of these type of boards. Say you took on a couple of these projects. What's the process then of – I mean, you write, you write a treatment for this, but then uh, did – there's no guarantee the creators are even going to read it, or how how does it go from there? Once there's, you say, yeah, yeah I'd no, like to take one of basically, those. Basically, basically, it's you know when I was talking about music videos, it's the same thing that happens with music videos. And it's one of the reasons I don't do music videos anymore. You write treatments, kind. You would then end up writing a treatment kind of randomly for something, not really knowing if the creatives were ever going to see it. That your your producer who brought you the board would then take that board out and and send it into maybe the agency producer um you know with the hope you know with you know with all kinds of hype i'm sure they're all meaning well but they would take it to them with the hope that maybe they would then take it to take it to their creatives and see or take it to their clients and see if they can um you know get it made but the fact of the matter is that may work once in a very great while, but the odds are so low. You know, if you have to look at it, you know, we're right now, even in the situation you're talking about, oh, uh, on your side, if you're if you're doing a pitch against three other directors, you have roughly, you know, just above thirty percent chance of getting the job yeah. if you're playing even odds. Yeah. If you're, you know, if you're going, you know, you add one more, it's a quarter. You add one more, it's it's less, it's a fifth. It could get to a point like when you do a music video here, it's 
there might they might do a shotgun approach that goes out to like a hundred directors. Or like some of the music videos now, like through like some of the smaller music videos through some of those services, like Moby's Gennaro service or something, like that's like a shotgun approach to thousands of directors. And so like what's your chance? I mean, even if you write the best treatment in the world, even if you have the most well intentioned angle in the world to get the thing done, what's your chance of actually getting it done? I, I think that it comes down to being efficient with your time and, and focusing on things that are actually going to get you, um, that are actually going to move you forward. I mean, when it comes down to, if, if I start getting to a point where I'm past about one of four pitching on a job, I'd rather go off and do my own short film or something like that. Yeah, because that's basically that what we're quite talking a powerful about. Tool, really, your reel is the most powerful, you know, way to get work. Really, is getting out there, and we've all we've both, as I say, we've talked about the fact that some of the most satisfying stuff we've done, and the stuff that gets the interest in creatives, is not necessarily the stuff that that costs four hundred thousand to make. Oh, it's almost certainly not the stuff that costs four hundred thousand to make. I'd say the, the, yeah. I mean, it's like commercials and things like that. Uh, commercials, music videos, videos. These things can be very, very creative, and I treat them very seriously and treat them very creatively. But there's no guarantee that they're ever going to be exceptionally creative. You know, you do the best that you can. And then, you know, for all kinds of reasons, these things could just end up being kind of flat, no matter how much money they spend. So if you're getting into a situation, it's it's essentially a very, very cool, creative job. And if it gets to a point where it becomes you're fighting too hard to do something that may or may not be that creative, then go off and make your own thing until the right opportunity comes along or focus on the right you know, focus on things that can actually, um, you know, hone your hone your reel so that you can get the right opportunities. I don't know. It's just it just seems like there's the the odds get too great. Okay, so I mean, I know that you're slightly different to other directors in so much as the fact that you're very hands on with your treatments. But there's probably a right. lot of directors who, uh, I mean, obviously you say you've, you've got the board, you're, you're interested in the job, you've had a chat with the creatives and uh, you want to go ahead and you've liked everything they had to say and they all liked everything you had to say. You go ahead and start doing the whole treatment business, I guess. Uh, a right. lot of the times people would be working through a treatment writing service, crafting service. Um. Yeah, there are treatment crafting services, and there's specific treatment writers. Um, or in-house guys I, doing that. In-house guys, yeah. Uh, the last, um, I, you know, coming from a design background, I have for many, many years done all my own treatments. Um, I look at it as And they look beautiful. I have, Thank I you. have seen them. They are a work of art. I have, uh, I have... Um, you know, I've created my own templates for these things. Unfortunately, you can never quite fully templatize these things. You, you, everyone's different. Everyone yeah. wants to be different. Everyone has a different look or vibe to it. So you end up spending a lot of I, I spend a lot of personal time 
doing these things to make them just so. And I kind of look at it as this is the one time that I'm going to have to really wrap my head around the job. And it's not just creating something that's going to look pretty. Um, it's like I really use it as, a, as an opportunity to think about the job. And I think that that is actually what's really contributed to my success um, or what success I have is that you know, when I get back on the phone, I do these treatments, and when I get back on the phone, not only do I know they look good, but I've really thought out the job, and I can then yeah, just go you through wrote and it just, rather than go I wrote it. had it ghost written. Exactly, and I wrote it, and I can go through, and I can be like, boom, and, and this happens, and this happens, and then this guy does this, and it's like, and, and then, you know, this transition happens, and we achieve it by doing this, and you can really talk through it. And at that point, you know, it's totally it, – it makes you look like you you've, you really have, have it going on, that you know yeah. – that you understand what they're talking about. They, want, um, they now, want confidence and they want to have faith that you, you, you know the project inside out and you're not just winging a prayer in it. It's exactly it's, – it's showing that you respect them and you respect the fact that – that they have spent months and maybe even a year or more trying to get an idea through past their client to get them to buy off on a TV commercial, which, you know, oftentimes it takes, it takes agency folks so long to get these things passed through. Yeah. I'm constantly amazed. 18 months, a year. It's, it's It's, astounding how, how anybody could have the patience to, to nurse something through by the time they come to us, they are, Shell shocked over it, bone dry and, for ideas and desperate for input and for someone yeah. to take their job by the scruff of the neck and make some, make it make them make them believe it can be good again. Yeah, and it's and it's and that's what a good treatment can do. You can get on the phone like I can do a treatment and I can get on the phone and I can hear the first call I have with these people could be a totally monotonous thing. And when I get back, I get a treatment in their hands and I get back and start getting on the phone and doing the pitch and going through the project with a lot of passion because I've just spent, you know, two or three days just immersed in this thing. Suddenly you can start to hear them warm up and it like, and it's really passion is really addictive. You know, you can feel it. Um, Now to your previous question, uh, yeah, there are treatment writing services and you know that all these things have places like the the last production company I was with actually had a really talented guy who um you know a lot of directors can't do their own treatments they can write them usually directors will write their own treatments at the very least a lot of times they won't do all the visuals and things um or if you're busy you know you can be or if if you get really busy you know if you're good you're busy yeah, I the last the last production company had an amazing designer, um, and, and but I had very specific ways I like my treatments done, and so I just worked with him because I knew I got really busy last year and got to a point where I couldn't do it all. So normally, so I basically had worked with him to to a point where we would partner on these things, and I always want to be involved with my treatment on some level. So generally, I. I would give him my templates and then I would go through, I would write the treatment. Um, I would write it as, as 
good as I can and, and just get it all as, as detailed as possible. And then oftentimes he and I would simultaneously do all our image searches. Like he would go out and find stuff. I would go out and find stuff. And then that was actually kind of fun because most people, when you ask them to go do an image search, they spend all day and they come back with like five images. Well, like a treatment treatments on this level, you go out and it's like an eight hour image search and you better come back with like, you know, five or 600 images. You know, you got to come back with a lot of stuff. You come back with, you know, you're, you're, you're trying to find, you're trying to find or create. Sometimes we take our own images and things like that. You're trying to create stuff that when, when your client sees this stuff, it's not the same photos that the other guy found. You know, it's not the first page that comes up on Google when you type in motor scooters or something, you know, it's, it's the deep cuts. And so we would go out together and spend time finding this stuff. He was really good at it. Amazing at it. Actually, I was, I would, um, you know, be really, you know, we'd be really descriptive about what we needed and we'd work in hand. And that actually was the first time I ever worked with anyone on a treatment and it was really productive because I was able to still stay involved and I knew that I was writing it and I was still able to approach it with the passion, the same passion, um, without physically doing all the work. Um, but you know, there's, there's all levels, you know, and, uh, there's, there's definitely treatment people. There's, there's directors I know that don't do any of their treatments. Yeah. You know, they, they are either really busy or they're just can't be bothered with it. And they get, you know, they let their work stand on their own and they, and they basically, their production companies go off and hire a, you know, they do a phone call and the phone call gets recorded yep. um, with the agency. And then that phone call recording goes to the treatment writer. Uh, treatment writer is usually a freelancer or something. They have the fr- treatment writer write the thing. The EP, maybe the director will look at it then, but usually the EP or uh, or someone inside the production treatment company will kind of, yeah, it, it's usually treatment by knowledgeable committee, but yeah, it's it's yeah, uh, it, yeah. that's that happens. Yeah, I've done and, it. I've done it. I've been and, busy, and I've had the calls recorded. I've actually had the treatment uh, people on the, on the conference call, just quietly sitting there, just listening and taking notes. Yep. Because essentially, that's kind of like my my pitch to the call to the agency is essentially my is essentially my treatment but just in sort of a bit more off the cuff more natural language so really about sometimes unless further thoughts come to mind which generally they do the truth what i write after that is essentially a recap of what i've said in the call um and I'll, i'll then probably do a couple of pages and send that in and they'll they'll obviously have their recording of the call and the notes they made and uh yeah we'll we'll do image search and uh yeah, or generally when I'm not on another gig, I'll do all of this myself. Uh, but but I've done done it this way quite often, and it's been been quite successful. And as you say, everybody gets a party to sort of nursing it. Production companies, the the producers who are who, who may have done other work with this uh, agency and know them well and know what they like and know their pain points. Um, uh, uh, will 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 put their two cents worth in, and everyone will sort of put two cents worth in, and it becomes a bit of a collaborative, a collaborative thing. Yeah, it's often because uh, I whinge and moan about having to do them all the time, and I complain. And but it is 
providing you've, I guess, you've chosen the project well, you haven't chosen something you just want to do for the money that month or you're doing it because, you know, you really have a passion for the project or you know this style inside out, It, regardless of how painful and boring it can be sometimes, it's once you get started, I find it a very important part in the creative process and you can I can start a project sort of grumbling and think oh this isn't going to be that great and by the time I finish writing the treatment and I've you know um uh you know sat on it for a little bit and thought about it in the shower a couple of mornings and you know come back to it a few times I've you can come out to the end of it really really being in love with the thing and desperate to do it and and getting the passion for it just by doing the process of putting hand to keyboard and just yeah, being forced to think about it. Yeah, totally. There's some magic about the serendipity, you know, stumbling on things and stumbling on ideas as you go forward. Because most of the time when you get on the call, you get on the call with the agency just after seeing the board. Oftentimes, I mean, I'll get sent a board and the agency, will, the like, I'll get sent a board with a note from my EP that'll be like, oh, the agency loves you for this. Yeah. Check this out. They want to be on the phone in an hour. They need a treatment tomorrow. It's, and they, well, they want, or they need it in two days, or yeah, they need it tomorrow. But it's like, you know, how much can you actually, you know, most of the time I'm out and about, I'll be at a restaurant or something, yeah. I'll be having a yeah. lunch, and then I'll get this thing on my phone, and I'll be looking at the storyboard, and then I'll get, and then I'll get on the phone with these people. Yeah. I'll have had literally fifteen minutes, twenty minutes to look at something. Yep. You can't really. You know, you're getting the whole purpose of that call is to get a download from the agency officially, but it kind of is an initial, an initial like date. You know, you're like kind of offering ideas on it how is. you might treat it. It is. <laughs> well, okay. Uncomfortable but, first date. But yeah, it is an uncomfortable first date. With you're five trying people. to get your. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> As they all should be. Um, As all dates should be. <laughs> As all dates should be. And yeah, you're having this conversation and, but see at that point, if, and I'm not advocating, like, or I'm not saying that, that all directors should do their own treatments. I just think that if you stop at that point and then your treatment writers go off and do their thing, the only information they have, because they're very literal. I mean, you work with these people. It's like, they will literally write down and regurgitate everything that you said in that call. And if that's all they have to work with, then that's all there is to work with. You know, That's what your treatment's going to be for the most part. Um, I think that the crazy ideas, the ones that are really going to make the project snap, they generally happen really late at night, you know, after you've been thinking about it, or like you said, after you've been in the shower for a while. Yeah. You know, I... I did a treatment last night. I was flying to New York this morning. I, I live in L.A. I was flying to New York this morning, and I was working on a treatment yesterday, all day. And about midnight of last night, I had a little bit of an epiphany. I was dying on this treatment. I was just like, oh, this is never going to work. This is, you know, just kind of, I was in the bad place. And I knew I had to pack and fly this morning but i had an epiphany last night at about midnight and ended up working on the treatment until god like 2 30 or 3 in the morning before packing so i could get up to fly this morning to come 
here, you know? And it was just like, it, you know, that sometimes, sometimes like inspiration comes in the weirdest times and the weirdest places. But if I had just kind of, you know, if the, the project ended up in my mind, the project ended up going in a totally different direction than it would have gone. You know, if I had just, got off the phone and they'd given me the project but based for some on that jobs, first conversation. That's what they're looking for. You know, they're looking for the, you know, no, the, the, no the, doubt. the sharp left-hander. They're looking for a complete turnaround. As I say, they can completely be completely shell-shocked by the entire project. And actually, you probably, uh, even though they might have had this in their lap for months, you probably, by that stage, are the person that has spent the most time thinking about that job that week. Um, and uh, maybe if they had enough time and weren't completely worked, overworked and weren't completely doing the job of five eight, uh, creative teams, uh, they might have come up with some fresh, interesting ideas as well. But uh, the reality is these guys are completely overworked um, and already on five different things, and I don't know how they get the chance to actually sit and do any come up with any ideas because they essentially go any any sort of agency creatives these days essentially go from meeting to meeting to meeting to meeting and every meeting just every meeting they are asked to come up with 50 ideas and solve 50 boring corporate problems creatively uh, within budget and uh, I don't know where they have the time because they just spend the entire time in meetings going putting out fires and, and solving issues and yeah, um, and then so, when they do come up with an idea, they get beat down. Yeah, so uh, yes, you are. If you come up with one great solid idea, that's already a complete and utter bonus, and, and they want to hear about it. I think there is something worth discussing. I know we've gone much longer than I said we should, <laughs> but uh, you know what it's like once you get started. Uh, is the fat is that sort of balancing act between? Uh, just rewriting the script as a treatment or absolutely taking the thing by its scruff of the neck, as we said, and, and completely changing it. How far do you push it? How far do you change it? If you start doing all the complete left field ideas, how do you, how do you sort of um, kind of package that up in a sort of, hey, just an idea, but, you know, don't shoot me down. Don't, don't throw my treatment in, 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 in the bin based on the fact that I'm, I've gone completely off the reservation but uh, I, here's an interesting idea what if i think that that is there are levels to that and um and that really you can't really speak to that without also speaking to your production company and your and the, your your relationship with your executive producer which is to you know your point person at the production company because when you get a board or when you get um when you get a project and maybe you don't know right away but pretty soon after you start you know doing the the agency it should be revealed in some way or other what the creatives are willing to accept and sometimes it's sometimes it's something where you i mean in the best case scenario it's something where maybe you're super busy. Maybe you're like, um, you're, you're really busy and you just like, 
the job comes up and it might look kind of boring on paper and you could you're in a very take it or leave it at like laissez-faire kind of attitude at that point you could come up with something where you change the idea and it really interests you you could it, then it is literally that you could it's a take it or leave it thing yeah. you could just be like you know you can throw something out there sometimes Sometimes I'll get jobs and my producer will just be like, this is what they want <laughs> and this is what they want to do and it's very cut and dry and all you have to do is this and and it's oftentimes those those jobs are depend very little on the the uh your actual treatment they're yeah. they're usually money jobs they're they usually a like a storyboard who's... artist a cinematographer someone yep. with a stopwatch and a first ad to shout action exactly and they're going to and they're going to and they're going to award it based on which production company has a director who's real they like and who also hits their budget yeah who's basically and shot that exact same commercial before who's shot exactly it. that and usually yeah usually that it's like when I get those jobs, it's like sometimes I sometimes I turn them down, and sometimes I take them. A lot of times, that's a classic. Like you've done it before. Earlier, you mentioned freelancers. Now, obviously, that's this, that's quite a big thing here in uh, Australia, and it's becoming a big thing, a bigger thing in Europe. But uh, what is the realities of when you say freelancer? What do you actually mean? What's that structure for a freelance director? Uh, well, I mean. I think anyone who's I mean everyone is essentially a freelance director. Everyone everyone is their own entity here. But um most you really can't there's a level there's levels of work that you can get in the in the US. By and large there's levels of work that you can get in the US that assure that you have to have a production company association in order to even get the job. So when someone's like looking for looking to become a director, there's a certain level of smaller or local work they can do on their own without an agent. Um, maybe they can find things direct to client. Maybe they can get smaller jobs through agencies that are like non-union work, um, that type of thing. But every major agency ad agency in the US is um a signator to the various unions and the the bigger and, and all the production companies are you know DGA signator and and that and that so they have to you have to actually be in the DGA and you have to sign with a company that is represented by the that is a signator to the DGA to even see any of the boards from any of the major agencies in the US. Um and that's just that's just how it is. So when I talk about like freelance directors, I would I would typically say that's anyone that doesn't have non DGA a, a non DGA non production company director or yeah. a production company that's not a DGA signator. Yeah. So that's a, a level of difficulty to uh getting um, reasonably high level work. It's impossible to get high level work. I mean, I would say it's. I would 
go as far as to say, I wouldn't. Say, I guess not impossible. It's nearly impossible. You can certainly do. You know, there are direct to client things that you can get. You know, obviously in the action sports world, none of that stuff is. There's a lot of amazing directors and cinematographers getting great work doing stuff for like, you know, Red Bull and 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 the various sports entities like that. But they, but they're all kind of they're all kind of their own show, you know, and um, they're making money and their their success is is limited only to how much they can sell themselves. And so, you know, production companies are much bigger entities. Um, they, they represent many directors, multiple directors, usually, you know, five or 10 directors at least. And, and they're all, and they, and they, you know, they are able to, you know, they're able to, um, they're signatories to the DGA and they're able to, if they get a commercial, they can lay down huge amounts of money um, to start the commercial and to offset, you know, the, the, the fees and things until the, the agency ultimately pays and that kind of thing. So it's like, I guess that would be my definition of, of, um, you know, freelance versus, you know, um, professional, uh, I guess, director. Okay. So let's talk about uh, work other than from agencies. Now you talked about the reps uh, having access to some of this stuff as well. Uh, Direct-to-client stuff, that's becoming a, um, a, a significant proportion of work out there. It, it's, it wants to be. It's the great, it's the great like, um, uh, God, it's like the great mystery that direct to client stuff. I mean, we, everyone, I think everyone, regardless of whether you're in a production company or whether you're a independent entity or whether you are a design company who wants to start doing more production or you are, I mean, it doesn't matter. Everyone is going to, everyone wants to go direct to client. The fact of the matter is, the only people who are truly going direct to client are the agencies and you almost have to be an agency to get all that work. Um, it's all direct to client work is, can be very good and can be very creative, but it's, again, it's, it's kind of a piecemeal thing right now. If I, I, I've had at least six, if not seven meetings with various types of production companies I've who who claim that they are have a line on direct to client work or have a plan on how to go direct to client. Uh in the la- in the last year I've had you know six or seven of these meetings where w- most of the time they're design companies that you know see it as maybe an end game around the production company world. Um, the production companies certainly want to do it. Although, if they go, if a production company starts going direct to client, then it means that they're yeah, you running. risk putting someone else. Someone's nose is going to get out of joint. Someone's nose is going to get out of joint with the ad agencies, right? So, th- the fact of the matter is, the only people who have truly, I mean, the definition of direct to client is an ad agency, and most of the time, the clients want more than someone just to do a single commercial. They want people to generate full campaigns for them that are well thought out and and 
have um, consistencies and they have media buys and they can have, you know, every level from web to print to, you know, viral marketing to every possible angle that, that you can conceive. And that's an ad agency's job. So the fact that people want to go direct to client, like I said, in the action sports world, that seems to be an anomaly. Red Bull, like there's tons of, there's tons of uh, individuals that go straight to Red Bull and take their footage. GoPro is another one. You know, they basically take a lot of people's footage, but they're not paying that much, you know, and it's like, it's really, they're basically tapping off the fact that they have amazing products that people like, and they just happen to be putting themselves into situations where amazing things are happening. So it's, so it's a little bit serendipitous at that point. Um, It's, I think that, uh, you know, there have been a few people that have been able to transition into direct to client thing. But, um, but by and large, you find that like, like my former, um, I worked for, I was the creative director of a pretty successful, um, uh, design and visual effects company, um, for many years called Digital Kitchen. And we were at the time in the, like in the early 2000s, we were the thing, you know, like, we, like if you needed stuff done, you needed design and commercials and stuff it like we did main title sequences we did all that stuff and um we were that we were super hot and they really wanted to get into um like after i left um they kind of made a move towards direct to client well now it's like they're basically an ad agency now they've gotten rid of all their most of their creative staff is gone um they have a little a few people there but most of most of it is now um, producers and marketers because now that they they have made a transition into direct to client, they've realized that most of it is is the distribution of the stuff, where to put it, how to get it there, you know, like how to you know what are the angles that people need, the strategizing, and so it's they, they've basically become an ad agency. Which is, you know, they, they've, they've done it and they're still relatively small with regard to what an ad agency is. So I don't, I don't really know. Yeah, it's muddy waters and it, it is, uh, there's, there's stuff to be found there, but you are sort of reaching around fairly blindly and it's, it's a fairly undefined kind of space and you can, you can luck it, but it is literally like trying to find food in muddy waters. It, it, it totally. When people come to me and they ask me, they say that that's their plan, my answer is always, that sounds amazing. I'm totally interested. When you have something, give me a call. Yeah. Paul, thank you. It's late there, I know. Thanks for your time. Hopefully for those who whose area of interest this isn't, it's been interesting. And hopefully for those who... Uh, know what we're talking about it hasn't been hasn't been too frustrating to uh, uh, relive the pain uh, how yeah. can uh, people find out more see your work pitch against you uh-huh. you up on Twitter etc yeah and no they people can find me at, at what is it letters home on Twitter as for uh, seeing my work uh, I, I honestly can't tell you right now because I'm just switching production companies and I am actually, I just, um, moved from my previous production company 
and I am actively in talks with actually a couple different places and hopefully in the next uh, week or two I'll have a new home for all my work which people you'll, you'll tell people of on Twitter most likely if you follow me on Twitter you will you will know when I've moved excellent that's for sure well dude thank you good luck with your pitches stay warm in New York and uh, see you in Vegas in April thank you Okay, so thank you so much for doing that, Jason. That was really interesting. Yes, and I, I'm not sure. I think I mentioned him in the in the interview, but yeah, thanks to Adam Heath um, from in, inverve.co.uk who kicked it least, off. Really. Uh, yeah, asked that question. Admittedly, it was a while ago. <laughs> okay. Now, one of the other questions that somebody asked us recently was uh, what podcasts we like listening uh, to. Ah, yes. And uh, and you know, obviously the. The, the number one podcast we listen to are all the ones on FX Guide, uh, of which there of are. Of course, all the of The FX them. podcast, which is currently looking at stuff to do with the SciTech uh, winners. So that's some really interesting stuff there. Actually, some very interesting stuff came out of the SciTech Awards winners this year and will be in um, LA for the Oscars. A lot of visual effects. Yes, but also uh, was some IR filters and, was um, some, yes. and stuff. So, yeah, but not so many film stocks this year. No. Um, and then, uh, yes, and then also we have, in addition to that, the VFX show, which um, last covered the Predictinator and what was going to win the VFX Oscar, but that normally looks at, of course, uh, uh, visual effects films and reviews them, unlike our other uh, show, which is uh, interview-based. And then, of course, there's FX Guide TV, which is a video podcast, the RC, and then, as I mentioned, I think, earlier, uh, John and I do This Week in FX PhD, which is a very cash chat. It actually makes this look formal, um, <laughs> which we discuss what's going on inside PhD each week. And if you really want to get uh, some inside baseball kind of running on uh, what we're interested in, that's uh, uh, John and I sitting around each week discussing whatever it is that's the thing that we're doing. I think this week we were discussing um, what it takes to successfully solve uh, archiving and backing up and stuff. And John was swearing a lot at uh, various companies that he hated that didn't work very well. But it's it's uh, a lot of fun. That being said, after those, what else do you? What else do we we listen to? And uh, so I think we're going to have a lot of overlap here. But you probably yeah. go further than me. But I would have said right out of the gate that I like um, media podcasts. So that's the sort of stuff that I tend to jump at because it, it's it's relaxing for me to listen to stuff that is um, uh, not you know industry per se. Yeah, yeah. There's not an bit. awful lot of industry podcasts out there that I listen to but yes i agree i listen to a bit of the, i suppose so it's on the media on, on the media, media on stuff. npr is definitely one that i almost never uh miss and which then, one on the media oh, yeah uh from npr and then there's an australian equivalent version which is the media report uh which is uh, radio national here in australia so those are two that uh, right out of the gate i listen to uh, straight away and i think probably the next one um which I'm sure you would listen to as well, is The Business on uh, KCRW. Yes, yeah, definitely. KCRW makes up a lot of my stuff. Um, The Business. Hollywood Breakdown, which is kind of the first chat of... Oh, that's actually even one that I forgot from KCRW. It's not on my list here. Um, So, yeah, The Business, Hollywood Breakdown... And there's one that they've just done lately, which is a bit more sort of TV, called The Spin-Off. Yep. 
which is a fairly new one. That's good. That's I don't, worthwhile. That I don't only comes out about every time. month or so. Yeah. And I hate podcasts that only come out every month. Or so. <laughs> uh, and Martini Shot, which Martini comes shot. out regularly and weekly and is very small. Is, it's so good, but it's so scripted. It's true, because he probably, maybe he blogs it and it's just reading out the blog. I don't know, but I love, I love it. He's a writer. He's a writer, and so it just he sounds... Going to, he's not just going yeah. to go off the cuff. He's going to... And I've got to say, yeah, the business is... Uh, yeah. yeah, business, Hollywood Breakdown, the spin-off, and Martini Shot, from, all, from one, one comp, all from one sort of broadcaster, I guess, is fantastic. Yeah, well, there's another one there that I would throw in, I, and I have gone off it a little lately, but I used to listen to Planet Money a lot on NPR, though it started to get... When I started going heavily into T-shirts and just ignoring major ah. financial stuff, mm. I uh, drifted from it a bit. Um, there's another one that I want to flag, which you, I'm sure, wouldn't listen to, but it's a really good one um, if you're in my side of the game, which is much more uh, the tech and the post-production stuff, which is CG Garage. Now, this is the Chaos Group Labs. So Chaos Group make V-Ray. And um, the Chaos Group Labs is the sort of uh, new thing that they've set up to look at R&D and rendering, R&D um, in terms of human faces, which I've been involved with, and also uh, another section that looks at behind the scenes on shoots and behind the scenes on uh, projects and stuff. And uh, so it's very much like our FX podcast here at FX Guide uh, called CG Garage. It's only had about six episodes so far, uh, but uh, but that's worth a listen. Cool. Back in the non-industry... Um, well... See, I'd listen to American Cinematographer podcasts if they ever... I mean, they make I, us look regular. Yeah, yeah. Once in a six months, they'll do something on... They never uh, do. I mean, I like interviews, but I don't like an interview that's an entire episode as an interview. I just find, you know, I nah. just want a bit of, well, sort of space. I would disagree with that, but anyway. Digital Cinema Cafe, which is great. That's fantastic. We know they're friends of the show, and we see them both at NAB often. Now, I'm sort of a bit of a skeptic. This is not completely anything to do with film industry or whatever. I'm just sort of, you know, closet skeptic and like sort of, I guess it's essentially being a skeptic is just kind of like, if you like Mythbusters, then you're all up for, you know, getting, finding out what the truth is behind, you know, old wives' tales and uh, and things and uh, not looking, not taking what, you know, the accepted with a, with a, uh, yeah. Look at everything with a bit of a skeptical eye. So there are a few fun. podcasts like that. Which one? Are you yeah, skeptics. About? Skeptics with a K is fantastic. That's actually what it's called. Um, skeptics Guide to the Universe is fantastic. No such thing as a fish is great. That's really accessible. It's basically no such thing as a fish. Is all the guys that do all the research and all work in the background putting together the QI TV show. Oh, really? Yeah. So if you like QI, which again is, again, yeah. looking at things with a skeptical eye and looking at what is the accepted norm or what you think Blowing is the reality the myths, yeah. and telling you the truth behind what you thought all along was right. Do you know what I like that's got so no such thing do. as a fish. That's fantastic. If, the, if we're on that level, I yes. like um, oh, Wait, yes, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Oh, yes, any podcast. Well, I like Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, the NPR news quiz game. Oh, yes. Because it's an old-fashioned radio show quiz game. Right. And if I'm on a long drive, like down south to like a six-hour drive to yeah. the snow or something, I love listening to that while I'm driving. It mm. cracks me up. They'll have somebody on each week as a guest person, and they'll... It's, they have this segment they sort of I forget, I forget, I forget the name of it it's something basically like not my business or not my job I think it's not my job and so if you had somebody on that's an expert this is in UK no it's American American if you've got somebody on that's an expert novelist in um, forensics they'll ask them about you know cartoon characters or something you know it's yeah. completely wrong okay um, but normally with a, a, a some kind of twist but anyway it's cool. a panel panel radio show in the old school of um, 
we don't, just don't do anymore. But obviously, very savvy, very hip, and very uh, yeah. And because it's about the news, it's almost like um, a perspective on the news. It's like the Daily Show is. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. There is a grain of truth in a lot of the humour that they come up with while ripping apart what had happened in this week's news. Gotcha. Okay, Dr. Carl's great moments in science. An now, Australian. Dr. Carl is an Australian. I guess he's the kind of like the uh, Australian Bill Nye kind of mm-hmm. uh, science guy kind of thing. Fantastic broadcaster, amazing brain. Um, the Colorista podcast, uh, or the Coloristos, I think it's called podcast. Is that still going? Mm, well, there's a couple here that have sort of haven't really done much since. I think that's last November was the last episode, so we can't really hold them against that one. They're all working. Working colorists, which is fantastic. It's an interesting sh- look at. Uh, I think a lot of these, you know, you can go back and look and listen to a lot of other past episodes, and they'll still be great. For coloristers, we'll talk about, you know, new gear panels, um, and just you know the art and and dealing with clients, and you know, not just the, the tech, but also the craft of it. Uh, the Go Creative Show is really good. Um, that is... Um, you can't listen to all of these regularly because this is a lot of stuff. Yeah, I listen to... Yeah, I fall asleep to a lot of them, so I probably hear the first five minutes of many of these. Right. Hopefully not while driving. I drive a lot, you know, so I'm but you listening don't fall to in the car. While driving. Uh, Skeptoid is a good one. That's a little sort of skeptic. It's like a little sort of, you know, 10-minute little bites talking about, um, you know, whatever. Like well, that's sort of like the martini shop, right? It's just a deliberately short show. Shortish, yes. It's yeah. kind of like the martini shop that I might just talk about the Bermuda Triangle or, yeah. you know, some sort of myth and legend and busting it, basically. The small five-minute myth busters. Uh, all About the Gear is is more about sometimes it's fairly new podcast it's more about perhaps more about stills gear or hybrid gear but it's interesting to you know just they'll 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 review one particular camera per episode maybe spend half an hour 45 minutes talking about uh one particular one one new camera release desert island discs is good that's a uk a a landmark of uh yeah it's been going for, for yes, years. Yes, and now being podcast, of course, as is all most BBC stuff. Do you ever listen to Fresh Air on NPR? No. So that's kind of a really good show. They have both the full show and then they have the broken out segments. So if you're not, that that's a that's like a torrent of huge amount of podcasts okay. that come out of Fresh Air. But mm-hmm. if uh, you like Terry Gross, and I do, um, and you can pick and choose a bit. Some of the, I find that TV film reviewer, to be a tad on the, I mean, this is me saying this, but he comes over to me tad arrogant and mm. kind of um, doesn't seem, hang on with this, he sort of seems like it's almost, he's a bit smug. Mm. And I don't, I don't like that. At as NPR, much as, no. Yeah, it's NPR. Yeah, the treatment. No, 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 that's that guy. Yeah, no. no. And I'm talking about but Fresh Air. He's the guy that reviews their films. Right, so see. he'll be like... You know, I really wanted to go and see this film, but when I got there, I discovered it wasn't quite the... And we always wish that it was... I'm like, yeah, okay, come on. Yeah. But leaving that aside, uh, Terry Gross is one of the best interviewers in radio. I think she's okay. great. Well, you know what we haven't included, we ha- and, and we would have years ago, is Twit. Well, MacBreak Weekly, I still listen to. You still listen to? I know to you've it? probably given up on most of them. MacBreak Weekly, I'll still listen to, because there's, there's an occasional... Oh, actually, there was a great pick. I haven't got it yet but you know obviously part of the thing at the end is you know get their get yeah. their picks of the week was uh oh um bugger it 
but they, they but, were talking about uh, so there's some new Audio Hijack Pro, maybe I think, I think what it is has, which for long long while has been an annoying, incredibly annoying uh, recording app. But I think that's had a really good that's had a revamp. I think that might have been one of the picks of the week for someone last in the last episode. So it's still worthwhile listening to it occasionally. But we you know, used, I like to sort I of keep up with the this Mac stuff. Tech. And yeah. I haven't listened to that in... There's a lot you can speed past, like, you know, the Squarespace, four-hour-long Squarespace mm. promos. I know that pays for the pays the bills, but... It's a little... Man, do they have to be so long? Yeah. Do we need a 15-minute-long, you know, Audible... The Audible audio? ads, yeah, kill Fuck. me. But also... So long. Yeah. Jesus. Well, it's a good thing is, you know, you fast forward. i tell you what I will do. I will listen to Mac Break when they do, when some new gear comes out. So if there's a new, um, like an analysis of a new yeah, bunch of Macs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And lastly, uh, talking of good interviewers, here's the thing uh, with Alec Baldwin. It's, I think it's got something to do with um, NBC or, um, you know, what's his name, who produces Saturday Night Live. I think there's a bit of a tie-in oh, yeah. there. Alec is a great interviewer. Fantastic. He had a video show. Like right. He, and I saw a few episos of that, but I okay. think it got cancelled. Maybe Yeah, this I think this, this has been cancelled. I think, you know, maybe, you know, maybe he's, he's, he maybe hasn't necessarily thing. kept his nose clean publicly late, you know, right. of late. So maybe, I don't know, maybe they got pulled. Who knows what? I mean, obviously he's a busy working actor as well. But, uh, yeah, I like that. Here's the thing with Alec Baldwin. I had some really, really good... Interviewer, some great, great. Well, that is a good set of podcasts. There you go. Well and truly answered. Yes. So if you have uh, if you have any other suggestions, we'd love to hear from them. Actually, I'm going to ask you something, Mike. When you're talking about the Bake Offs and Oscars and things, yep. What your thoughts are on the what I think is probably the biggest clangor of the exclusions, which I'm sure you can probably the Lego tell. Movie. Yes, the Lego Movie. Yeah, I mean it was just outrageous. I think that's just. People have posted insane. People that we like have posted saying there is no right or wrong with the Oscars. It is what it is. True, of course. Um, but seriously, if if it truly was voted, if the animation section was truly voted by actual proper animators and not any old person's pool cleaner guy who they just fling the screeners <laughs> to and just say, "Oh, I'm too busy. Can you you just fill in this form for me?" Well, you know, in the that vision, happens. Yeah. I know that. That's like yeah, but Jason, in the visual effects, that happens yeah, but hang a on, lot. in the visual effects category, not talking about animation now, but the visual effects, you have to get included on a list, and then you go to a Bake Off by your peers to yes. get nominated, and then the pool cleaner thing that you just described is yes. of the nominees to get the Oscar. Right. What was outrageous about Lego is it didn't get in the nominees. You see what I'm saying? Yes. So, so I I would totally agree with you that if you told me that any film that's nominated for visual effects won. I wouldn't, you know, I mean, it would be surprising if it wasn't, in my opinion, Apes, um, Interstellar or Guardians, but mm. it would be like, well, that's what the general population of the Academy voted for. But to not be nominated in Lego, and, and I tell you... I find it astounding. I yeah, mean, yeah, apart yeah, from the fact the film was really good... I'm sure the other ones are fantastic too. It's but very hard to animate if you're not allowed to do squash and stretch, you're not allowed to change the face, yeah. you're not allowed to do a yeah. lot of the posing that you would do. And because every single the shot pieces are has made a trillion Lego. things in it. Yeah. And <laughs> level of difficulty of, compared to doing dragons a second time around 
It well, has to be. Uh, yeah, I mean, dragons has to be. Don't take anything in away. No, from no, dragon thing, is good. But, but you know what I mean. Yeah, no, I do you're, know. You're you doing that film largely. You're doing ninety percent of it for the very first time, and you're doing it with character animation where you can't use most of the skills that the you know character animators at Disney invented. Yeah, and you're replicating you've got Lego pieces, and you're replicating a lot of the YouTube user submitted done as real actual stop part of the yeah. visual influence and was the close-up macro shallow depth of field stop motion stuff there's so much stuff in the way that film was made that is very left field compared yeah. to the way that any that, other animated film has been made in the past not only that but before the lego film came out it wasn't as if there hadn't been animated lego things so the general vibe was it's very unlikely that the lego movie will be that good because yeah. it felt like uh you know like a Okay, let's say a Barbie movie comes out. You know it's going to be basically a sales tool for yes. Mattel and Barbie or whatever, and you just yes. know it's not going to be that good, and you yes. know that we've seen it all before and blah, blah, blah. With Lego, it was astounding because it was so good, given that there was a bunch of stuff out there already. Mm. Well-directed, uh, well-animated, Animal Logic yeah. is a spectacularly good facility, and it really um, solved a lot of very complex problems in very clever ways. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I, I, I couldn't be more in agreement that the that was... The whole process of it. And in fact, actually, I think if you go back through the archives of uh, the business, there's a great interview and the pitching process for it and how the, talking to the filmmakers about how they pitched it and visually the, the, the idea for it. You're pitching a film to a, a toy company that basically doesn't need to have a film made out of it. Now, of course, once it's come out and been beautifully successful, they're probably would agree in an instant and no doubt have the sequel is uh, is in production but well, at the time you, yeah. you're talking about a sh- a company that's sort of like you know we don't really need we don't need a film and we don't need it necessarily to suck to to to, to work we want it to the worst thing would be was that it would come out and would be bad so quite interesting to talk here about them pitching pitching to lego and if you'd like to hear how they animated it, you could watch the FX Guide TV episode that I did over at Animal or the recent uh, FX Guide TV I did actually celebrating animators where we went back again to Animal Logic and looked at, um, at that craft. That was just before the announcements came out and we were so sure yeah. that it would be between Lego and, um, and uh, Big Hero 6 for the Oscar. Yeah. We didn't even, we didn't even occur Have to Have you seen us. Big Hero 6? I'm oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I got a good? screener. Yeah, it's great. Um, but... Uh, I never it occurred to us that it wouldn't be nominated. I was so sure that it would be nominated. Mm. I just so we were like, let's just celebrate character animators because I think last year yeah. character animators were one of the most interesting areas of our business. And um, yeah, so I was stunned. Anyway, yes, it was a bit of a stunning exclusion, but you know, that's what the Oscars are all about. They're all about being just that little bit disappointed. Are you going to watch it? Do you watch it? Like, do you, when it comes on? I watch it. I fast forward a bit of it. I watch it. I I find it a frustrating. I find most award shows quite frustrating because it kind of shits me that we have a fifteen twenty minute long monologue where we just you know work the room, walk around the room, 
oh, here's George Clooney, blah, 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 joke about George Clooney for like 45 minutes. And then when it comes to the actual bit that this entire thing is about, people who have worked for two or three years to make a motion picture and brought it to its fruition and it gets awarded, they stand up, they get 30 fucking seconds to talk and then they get played off. Unless, of course, they're a star or absolute A-list star and they're talking about something heart-wrenching or, you know, the film had some, you know, some sort of, you know, theme about slavery, then, of course, you can talk forever because that would be rude. But everybody else, you get 45 seconds and then fuck off because... Because we've got to get back to the funny yeah. monologues, or the well, you know, you know I, or the endless. You know, I'm going numbers. over for the uh, SciTech. Isn't that annoying? Don't you think? Well, yeah, totally. It's like but two that, hours, three hours. It goes forever. It goes endlessly. But that's only half and of the Oscars. Literally, the you could just part. shorten the thing by five minutes, and that would mean everybody else might get another fifteen. I mean, clearly there are people who don't do need to be played off, who want to thank their publicists, makeup artists. Brother lawyers, man. friends, daughters, brothers, proctologist. That that shit's got to yeah, okay. get locked down. But seriously. Anyway, getting back to it, the SciTech Oscars are really good. Yes. Yeah, SciTech Oscars. That would be interesting. Superb. Last year I was sitting with the guys that uh, had got uh, stuff for, um, uh, you know, drones basically, technology, and just how they developed all that stuff up. And... Um, yeah, every year you get to hear and talk. And Christopher Nolan uh, was uh, there last year as well. He uh, made a surprise thing to think about film. It's always it's always really good, and that's coming up in ten days. And you are heading off. Yeah, yeah, I'm going on Thursday over, and I get in. No, I get in on Friday, and it's on Saturday night. Excellent. Dust off the old tux. Yeah, awesome. Good fun. Yeah, no, it's always good good year walk the red carpet a lot of good people well actually I'm on the other side I'm not walking the red carpet I'm I actually rolling the red carpet out well thanks no <laughs> I don't actually work as a janitor <laughs> they were got a lift to the Oscars last year uh, on, on Uber yeah and so they, they were like oh yeah so the guy pulls up at the house in the black limo I get in in a tux and I say can you take me to the Beverly Hilton or whatever it is that it was on at and he goes yeah you're sure where are you going for and I said I'm going for the SciTech Oscars and he goes oh are you a waiter <laughs> And I was like, <laughs> I was going to say, do I look like a waiter? Because I, I kind of did look well, like a waiter. He probably wanted you to say, are you actually a, you know, a limo driver? I said, well, actually, I'm actually a... <laughs> I was just like, I was like, really, I don't know I'm why I was so outraged. I was like, I was like, yeah, yeah. And I earn such good salary that I can afford a black limo to take me to my job each day. Anyway. <laughs> yes, I want to take a limo to my waiting job. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, actually, I'm going to the Cytex at the invitation of the Academy. But thanks. Thanks. Awesome. Dick. Anyway. Okay. Well. That's it for another week. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Jace. Let us know if you uh, follow us on the Twitters. I am Wingrove. You are Mike Seymour. Yes. And this has been the uh, RC Podcast. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening. Send your questions or comments to rc at fxguide.com. Copyright 2011, FX Guide, LLC.